Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 258. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have with us the internationally acclaimed and nominated author, illustrator, and cartoonist, Eric Gabster. Thanks for having me. Eric, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? I reached out to you, and, 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 and you said... Yes, I'd love to come on, but you know what? Let's wait until the springtime because I have a sequel book coming out called The Magma Cup. And I said, perfect. I would love to talk to you about that. So, Eric, for, for those that might be you know watching or listening that, that might be unfamiliar with, with your background and also sort of super, do you want to kind of give people a little bit of a kind of a history on how you became um, such a well-known young adult graphic novel creator? Yeah, um, so I've been working in comics um, since about 2009, 2010. Um, most of my work has come primarily as an inker. Um, I ink Phil Hester's pencils on a lot of different projects, uh, for primarily for DC Comics. Um, but uh, So that's how most people know me. But um, the reason I started drawing comics in the first place um, back in the third grade is I, I really liked um, writing and drawing my own stories. And I've um, really captivated by uh, Calvin and Hobbes when I was younger, a lot of comic really? strips, um, Bone by Jeff Smith. And um, right. just along with a steady diet of superhero comics as well. Um, so that's, uh, you know, uh, the comic strip though, uh, you know, I really wanted to do that. And that's primarily what I was working on. Um, really up until about uh, 2016, 2017, um, but um, nothing was ever really published. Um, so mm. while I was doing that, I was working with Phil for, um, you know, books like Batman and um, Flash Season Zero, and we did um, Family Tree with Jeff Lemire and Image Comics. And uh, so while we were doing all of those, I was still plugging away, um, trying to... Um, sell a comic strip and um it just got to the point where um you know i had a relationship uh with uh editors of syndicates and um it just it was such a long shot um and it just came to a point where i really didn't enjoy the actual creating process um so I kind of set that aside to pursue more penciling and um during that time um you know kind of uh a buddy of mine, a uh, cartoonist, wonderful cartoonist named Jason Platt, uh, had just released his first middle grade uh, graphic novel, um, the Middle School Misadventure series. And um, so once he, you know, kind of showed me that that was a possibility, um, that whole market, you know, I just, I wasn't paying attention. But uh, once I did, I really turned all my focus to that. And, um, you know, this was probably 2018. I'd, I'd taken a mm. break probably all of 2018, but 2019, I started, um, you know, querying agents. And um, by the end of 2019, we had sold the project. So, you know, hats off to being the anchor because, you know, we've had anchors on the show in the past. And it's like, it, it's amazing. Like anchors are the unsung heroes of a comic book. 
the inkers actually bring the book to life. Like it actually gives it depth and in perspective. It's like the, like the lion's share of any comic book really is really is the inker. When you talk about how did you get into doing a career in inking first instead of say like lettering or actually penciling? Yeah. So like I said, I was just, I never worked with anyone and um, hmm. all my pals who drew comics um, growing up, you know, through high school, everybody dropped out. Um, you know, by the time we graduated high school, except me. So I was really just plugging away by myself um, and um, hadn't really considered. Um, it was never really a goal to work on, um, you know, uh, big two properties or um, just, you know, any kind of uh, collaborative effort just never presented itself um, until I started going to conventions and I met uh, Phil Hester, and Iowa doesn't have a big comic scene. I believe my mom was a friend of a friend. There's some, you know, grapevine connection. And um, through that, I met him at a convention, and he was really gracious, a wonderful guy. He invited me to his studio, um, took a look at, you know, the comic strips I was drawing, and was was very open. He's like, you know, I've, I've, he's like, I've done editorial cartooning. I've penciled just about everything. I've done some inking. He's like, but I, I don't know much about comic strips. I don't know how much I can help you. But right. he's like, I, he's like, you've got great line work. Um, your inking is just looks very natural and looks, looks great. He's like, have you ever considered inking anyone else? And I said, nope, I had not. <laughs> um, and so him, uh, his longtime inker, Andy Parks, um, Phil's here in Iowa as well. And Andy was down in um, Kansas City, I believe, and somewhere around there. And um, by this time, Phil was penciling and then scanning those pencils for Andy to print out blue lines and ink digitally. So he had stacks of this book, El Diablo, of un unfinished pencils just lying around the studio. And he was, it's just an unbelievable opportunity for um, young, uh, you know, a, a young cartoonist to get to ink over someone's, you know, especially a, a penciler of Phil's caliber to get to ink on those because I, I had tried doing it um you know with other pencils that you'd come by especially you know if you really need a proper scanner and before i had that um, as a proper printer but you know you could ink on vellum overlays you could um you know some people really like inking on blue line printouts but to actually ink on the pencils was a really great opportunity and um that's uh, yeah that was just pure luck on my part um <clears throat> that phil had the those pages and um and i wasn't great right out the door right. um i just kind of mm -hmm. kept that relationship going by inking a few pages and then um getting back to him and uh, having him look him over and give me some advice and i do it again you know it took a few years until you know um, any work came out of it um i believe a publisher forgot to ask him to do a cover and so he needed it turned around overnight and um, I could not do that today, but um, back in 2009, I was very eager <laughs> to, uh, you know, work an entire shift at my at my job, Sp stay up all night inking, and then right. uh, you know, I was really, yeah, it it really tires me out thinking about it now. But uh, <laughs> those are good memories. Uh, like I said, I couldn't do it now. When you started doing inking professionally, was it, you know, pen to paper or was it, was it digital at that point? 
Yeah. So um, Phil and I have always worked traditionally. Um, okay. And we live probably about 45 minutes to an hour away from each other and always kind of, I've moved a couple of times um, in the last 14 years or so, but um, we've always, you know, we still meet pretty regularly just to, uh, you know, these CD McDonald's parking lot art drops where he'll uh, hand off pencils um, and I'll hand some inks back. But uh, yeah, we've just always worked traditionally on every project. Right. And and so when you actually started working at DC, was it still traditional? Yeah, and it still is. It's really up to okay. each individual right. um, artist of how right. they work. So. so so talk to us a little bit about that transition you made as you know working at one of the big two. And then as you mentioned earlier, that transition between you know what, I got this story to tell and I really want to write this young adult graphic novel. How, talk to us a little bit about how that process and how that, how that story happened. Yeah. So again, around 2016, 2017, I really stepped back from inking comic books or inking, you know, pencilers like Phil, you have your sensibilities that you bring to the page and you bring to a project. And, Hmm. um, you know, Phil, I worked really closely with for a long time. Um, So, we kind of developed a style and in our style that we work together with kind of changes. But um, when I was penciling, um, you know, I, my whole life, I was drawing really cartoony stuff in the vein of Calvin and Hobbes and Bone, Richard Thompson's cul-de-sac. Those are my heroes aesthetically um, as far as cartooning went. So um, when I took a step back from cartooning uh, comic strips, um, I had to really reinvent my style to, I felt, to get work um, Mm. at DC and Dynamite and just, you know, more direct market uh, books. And so I, um, yeah, I spent about a year just developing, really pulled back that cartooning um, into something a little bit more dynamic, a little bit more kind of like that house style you see on comics, um, superhero comics. And I learned a lot doing that. I learned a lot about, you know, storytelling, uh, dynamic composition mm. pages. And um, so that all kind of informed, um, you know, that I was just kind of, I had all this information and I hadn't really found my voice yet until um, the opportunity to, you know, do a graphic novel um, in my cartoony style, but employ all those things um, that I had learned drawing comic books. Um and so I was just, I was really ready and I was really confident um, artistically and, and um, I was confident in my writing and uh, just, yeah, the opportunity was there. And um, when I say I was confident in my writing, um, working in comic strips or trying to work in comic strips was always, um, right. it was just, it's, it's just such a specific animal. Um, creatively. And so once I had stopped, you know, that four panel beat with punchlines, you know, I still used all of that um, that I learned in that pursuit and brought that to, you know, sort of super. Um, So it just, it really felt like a culmination of all of these, you know, pursuits uh, rolled into one and, and it was really, really gratifying creatively. And, and I, and I knew I was onto something just, just for myself, um, in the, in the process, um, because it was just such, it was so much more enjoyable to write these stories and to design full pages as opposed to, you know, the small strips. 
So. Right, because it, it gives you that graphic design piece to it as well, being at that layout an entire page, as com as you said, as compared to the the four panel strips. So, as you mentioned earlier, that you learned a lot from working in comics with uh with your writing. What were some of the things that you're able to skills and techniques you're able to take as a writer from your time working at comics? Mostly just storytelling and knowing how to lay out. It's one of the hardest things to learn, um, but mm. just knowing that, you know, something has to happen on every page. Um, you know, the composition of uh, just story structure is much more, uh, I think I was just a much bigger fan. Um, so I consumed a lot more. Um, I didn't, I'm, my education is, uh, I went to Iowa State and I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts. Um, so my education all stems um, on the art side of things. So um, writing um, was was more, you know, just 39 years of reading comic books. And you know, <laughs> um, there's a lot of instincts that come with that. Um, and I think, you know, just having that much, um, having consumed that much, I whether I was right or wrong, um, <laughs> Right, it's kind of up to anybody else, but uh, I, I felt confident, and uh, the things that excited me as a reader, I felt like I had something to bring um, to the page. Right. How many drafts did it take you to uh, for volume one, like sort of super? How how many goes at it did you have before you felt good putting pencil to paper on it? Um, pretty much one. <laughs> really? Um, wow. Okay. So when you say drafts, I um, you don't bring a whole script to a publisher. Um, we right. we pitched a synopsis, and okay. um, that for the most part, that synopsis I stayed pretty true to it. The ending changed. Um, there were some there were some there's a little bit of revising um, right. from when we sold the script or sold the uh, you know synopsis, sold the project um, to when it finally got written down. In, in the script form, um, but not a ton of, uh, okay. I mean, this, like, it, it helped to really have those characters fleshed out um, beforehand, because um, trying to do this as a strip for so long, the characters were there. Um, right. Just the world um, needed to be expanded, and, you know, the, the adventure that they get swept up in, and the mystery, all that stuff, um, you know, was really uh, conceived that same year, and, and, and that's kind of, when I, when I say that, you know, writing comic strips kind of like uh, pounding my head against a wall sometimes and then writing this graphic novel was you know the sensation was like melting butter like it was just it was just easier from a creative standpoint it was more rewarding and i think that kind of um you know that energy just carried me through um right to, it, it was it was fun to do i had there i've never had as much fun uh creating as i did on this story and um and we had revisions from the editor too, um, you know, once I got the script done. So, so it wasn't like I just sat down, wrote it and it was perfect. Um, you know, it, it went through the normal process, but uh, not a ton of, uh, you know, nothing huge, I guess. Right. Yeah. So to talk about the world building aspect of this. Is this something that, did you write this with the expectation of saying this kind of takes place in our world or did you have to, you know, put in like more like fictional settings and fictional places and and things like that? I wanted to keep it whimsical, um, so okay. it, it is kind of like our world. You know, it's it it exists. You know, there's 
you, you want to take the expectation that, you know, we, we don't know if aliens exist. We don't, you know, superheroes aren't flying around. You know, that's, that's not a normal thing um, when you enter the story. Um, but I also still didn't want to spend too much time um, on how mind-blowing that would be. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, as a kid, you, you really do, like the world is brand new a lot. There are a lot of concepts right. that get thrown at you. Um, so, um, I thought about that a little bit when introducing, you know, like, you know, um, why it reveals he has superpowers to his friends. They're definitely surprised, but, um, I think, you know, in reality, you'd probably spend about 10 pages, um, you know, sitting there chewing on that. Um, but that doesn't make for, you know, a really compelling, perhaps it can, but, um, right. so yeah. Um, and a lot of the, uh, you know, when you, when you talk about, when you talked about concepts that uh, might uh, from comic strips that kind of made their way into the book. Um, when this was a comic strip, I, you know, you don't really follow a narrative in comic strips. So I had this gag where the teach the, the, the principal would be an alien and sure. it would just be this mutually assured destruction thing that he would know why it has power, why I would know he's an alien and neither of them could do anything, but they could endlessly torment each other. Right. And so that was kind of the foundation for what happens in the book. You know, it, it changes. Um, they don't have that relationship in the book. But right. um, that's one of those things that did, did find its way into the book. And so so I had a lot of that stuff um, just kind of sitting around, some of it percolating, some of it not. Um, that just, uh, yeah, I just I had a lot of ideas to draw from when I started building that world. There was a surprise ending. I don't want to, just for that sake, is like, was that always for those that knew your knew your 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 strip? Like, with that surprise ending, was that already like in place? No, already. Okay. No, none of that stuff. Um, none of that stuff was. Uh, and then the strip never, you know, ran really anywhere. Um, right. For for very long, there was a pitch that was up for a while, probably about eight weeks worth of material so there wasn't a wealth of stuff um that mm. anybody ever really knew um right my wife maybe <laughs> but <laughs> um, yeah not too many people had a lot of expectations coming in but it, but there are fans who who do remember it um, right from being a strip and um and it's it's pretty cool to see so so talk to a little bit about you know for for our listeners and, and viewers out there just a, a little bit of like a synopsis of of sort of super your your the first book yeah so um wyatt is uh, kind of a bumbling 11 year old um and uh, the story kind of begins when he accidentally uh, there's a series of accidents um, where he gets superpowers and um he uh his his little sister is uh is pretty smart and she believes it gave him um that those accidents just didn't just give him superpowers that it gave him a clue to the disappearance of their mother and that's kind mm. of the overarching mystery of the series is what happened to their mother because she um she disappears um prior to the start of the book and so why getting these and then and adeline has little sister's name is adeline doesn't know this right away but it kind of um you know why it gets powers and there's the, you know, kind of uh, Jonathan Kent um, aspect of the dad and uh, kind of a whimsical take on that, you know, really apprehensive um, approach. If your kid really did get superpowers and wants to be a superhero, not necessarily for the right reasons, um, you know, 
he doesn't want him to uh, to go out and put himself in danger. And, and the dad's a sheriff, so he's he, he's coming from a genuine you know place of, uh, and any parent would be concerned. Um, so the, a lot of the humor, um, I wanted to have a whimsical take on that, you know, pretty common scenario. And um, so, yeah, it just really follows uh, why it's really earnest, but really um, incapable attempts um, at being a hero. And Adeline comes in, you know, she's, hey, what dad doesn't know doesn't hurt him. Let's go do this. <laughs> um, and so, you know, from there, there's a there's a smaller mystery, not with the mother. Um that uh, the two go and um that kind of that kind of starts the ball rolling to uh the more they use their powers the more um you know that just things are off in the town and um the more they learn about themselves the more they learn that uh, there's probably something more to Wyatt's powers and kind of um i don't know how much i want to give away here but that's uh my my understanding is that you have to have read the first book in order to really understand what's happening in the second book correct there's yeah i mean you really should read the first one um there's 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 enough in-story recap to um right if you've never read sort of super um you won't be completely lost um these are designed to stand on their own um well, there is that overarching uh, mystery, um, and and there's definitely a, you know, it is a series, and it's meant to be mm-hmm. as a series. Um, each book is going to have its own beginning, middle, and end. Um, right. So, while it's helpful, um, not a hundred percent necessary, but you will get a lot more out of it. How many in a series are you planning? Is it going to be finite, or or is there going to be? Do you have like an entire meta plot that you've already kind of scripted out? Yeah. So I've got a. Um, kind of like something like Bone. Um, there's, you know, he he kind of ended um, right. after that that story was told. Um, so I've got that in mind, and I don't know exactly how many books it's going to be. And you know, obviously, there's the you know the matter of they need to sell enough to you know like merit making more. So you know, I, those questions don't really get answered in real time. So my my I have my plans, and then you know. Um, we just kind of take it step by step. So I, I have an overarching story. It's written. I know where everything is going. And this is pretty much, and, and there are, you know, I guess it's kind of, I'll see how I feel. Cause I have other books I want to write too. And other right. stories I want to draw. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm getting faster. Um, but, uh, <laughs> there's only so much you can draw right. um, in a year. So we'll, I'll see. Yeah. I mean, we're just, yeah, we'll just see where it goes, and um, I'm I'm hoping to um, definitely get to tell that first uh, overarching story and right. solve that mystery. To be clear, you're the writer and the illustrator for this, so there's no everything's on your shoulders. Whether how fast you do it or how slow you do it is based off of that. Now, are you even even sort of super even even the magma cup? These are all traditionally done, or yeah. any of these digital? Yeah. No, nothing is, um, nothing on my end is digital. I do everything except color. Um, I'm color efficient. So I I was, I've never been confident that what I color is gonna, is gonna look proper or uh, (laughs) I've learned a lot about it. So I, I, I might give it a shot at some point. um, Right. uh, Shore up my, uh, difficulties, but, um, Dervla Kelly is a colorist and she's amazing. Um, so glad she's on board and really, really elevates it to another level. Um, right. And could not imagine 
doing this project without her. So, right. um, but, but yeah, everything on my end is traditional on, uh, my 17 pencil and ink, a lot of whiteout. But even lettering as well? Is that all? Yeah. So what? Wow. When, so when I was, when, when I was starting out, you know, just, uh, comic strips, you know, everything right. is by hand, the lettering, right. um, that I was, and that's just the way I'd always done it. So when I came mm -hmm. back to this project, I, you know, that's just the, that's how my process was. And that's how I felt comfortable right. laying pages. I when, um, you know, it's always tough when you're drawing, um, it's not tough, but you know, you have to be, you have to leave room for the balloons. Um, but when you're penciling it for a letter to do it, um, you're just kind of making guesses as to how much space there is. You don't really know. And I like yeah. having that control. I like, and I like knowing exactly where those, those balloons are going to lie. So right. I had every intention of lettering this by hand. And on the first book I did, just because I had the time, I did letter the whole thing, even though the publisher, and, and this was really early on, they were like, no, we're, you know, because this is going to be published in other languages, you know, we need to, um, there's, there's a business aspect to this that we can't, uh, we, we need to have those um, balloons blank to, you know, be able to um, do it in other languages. So um, we made a font based on my lettering, which turned out fantastic and uh, still had that feel, um, that really personal feel. Um, to the project um but but i did I, I still lettered the whole thing by hand in the second book i didn't have the time um, right. so i'm i'm slowly going back and i and i love original art it's um just nothing is more fascinating than um looking at pages of uh right you know, artists you love and um you know pre-2000 all the lettering was done on the board, even if it was just paste ups. Um, and those fascinate me to know, and I love looking at those pages. Um, so mm. I, yeah, it's just, it was a personal thing. And I know it was a lot more work, but I was happy to do it. And then, you know, I mean, this, I don't think anybody goes into cartooning to get rich. Um, you know, it's, it's all about the process and what you enjoy doing. Um, so, you know, if I don't enjoy doing it anymore, I wouldn't, but uh, that's still just how I, that's how I go, so. Right. Um, yeah. you, you do bring up you bring up the font like I I love this can as I say though so I'm curious about this is like the actual font on here on your cover is that your handwriting and yep. is that is that available for do you sell that for download does that font belong to you or does that belong to your publishers that's a great question um, <laughs> I don't we don't sell it I don't and I, I, I highly doubt anybody's asking for it no, because it's so unique to me um, right. but no that's um, that and that's the, the what you see on the cover is actually um, not um, not the font we used um, that's all hand lettered um, right um, and then we you know there's some tweaks in there to make it um, you know to just make it look more appealing but uh right yeah the folks the readers that that might and we talked about the people that might not be familiar with sort of super so let's talk to you about the people that read sort of super what can they expect in the sequel book so um you know the first story was really about um you know kind of awakening to that adventure um that why and adeline were a part of and um their friends beto and nara aren't um they, they weren't a huge part of book one and they, they take on a much bigger role in book two. Um, so it's really, um, you know, there was, there was a, just the dynamic between really it was just Adeline 
and why in book one and in book two right. it really like just opens the world up and you learn a lot more about their friends and how they um, kind of come in and help them on the adventure that they take in book two you know l- you know looking at the back of the cover on this they kind of go on a field trip correct is that what yeah so um so that you know adeline uh has this theory that their mom had superpowers and that's how they got them and um, she's kind of, you know, she's, she's grasping at straws because there's just no evidence, no clues, nothing um, right. that ever came out of the night of her disappearance. And she finally has one little coincidental thing that she finds in a newspaper that happened the same night. Um, but it happened like 400 miles away at this volcano that's supposed to be ex- extinct. And it, you know, reactivated for that one night. And there was just a lot of weirdness around it. And she recognizes that it's really not a strong lead, but it's all she's got. And, um, you know, their dad doesn't want them to go play superheroes. So she comes up with this cover story that they're going to go to this camp, uh, Camp Igneous at the base of the mountain. And her, um, they need four people to enter it because it's kind of a, a competition tournament style um, camp. And um, they need four people to enter. So they get their friends to come with them and they're not too concerned with winning anything. Um, that's just their cover story. They want to just have the opportunity to be there for an extended period of time so they can sneak out at night and go investigate the mountain or not mountain but volcano and see what they can find and follow that lead well when they get there they find that uh there's you know story elements they they can't escape um mm. they have to win the magma cup they have to win that tournament in order to um the last challenge is a scavenger hunt overnight camp out on the mountain itself and they're like okay we can we can certainly ditch one counselor <laughs> so we just have to win um you know Right. And, and, and get the opportunity to, so that, that becomes, you know, they have to, they have to, they win have to win camp, the... competition. The, 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 so like Wyatt and Adeline are such good, great characters that you've written. I'm really curious as putting on your author hat, are you in charge or are they in charge? Like when you're writing the script out, do they go in a direction where like, this is where they got to go. Like this is, what their personalities would take them. Are you, are you pretty strict on how making sure that you, they stick to the plot that you've put in your head? No, there's, there's a lot of room to just see where they take you. And, um, yeah. and that's, that's, I, I like that a lot. And um, opening that world up when, when I, so you asked, you, you had talked about not a lot of um, revision. I said there weren't a lot of revisions in the first script. Uh, Beto and Naro didn't have a um, really big role. Right. Um, yeah. And it, and it became bigger as I wrote the first book and those, their personalities, I really enjoyed too. I found I, I liked writing the four of them. Right. Um, so that whole direction for book two, um, I kind of knew that Wyatt and Adeline had to go on this adventure and Beto and R weren't, um, it wasn't a team aspect um, when I first conceived of it. But once I got to writing book two, it was, there was no question of it. Um, you know, they, they all had to be there and it, and it just, you know, the cast expanded and got bigger. And, um, and I, I really enjoyed that, but that was, you know, directly from, you know, those personalities on the page, um, and, and my response to, you know, just, just how enjoyable they were. So it was almost as that you're reading at the interaction and almost had that feeling of you, you were eavesdropping in on a conversation almost because they, it was, the banter was so, it wasn't theatrical. It just seemed 
it just seemed natural the the conversations that were happening which was really fun and it was um and it made it like a really fun read reading that first book so awesome. that I was great it. yeah so when is sort when is the magma cup available july 18th so for those that wanting to they can they could probably get it uh, pre-order it now is that yeah it's available to pre-order um wherever you buy your books um i'm no amazon walmart target all the big box stores um have pre-orders right. up and you can definitely go um my i'm doing independent bookstore day at a local shop swamp fox books and they'll be taking pre-orders that day um right so yeah. any your favorite bookstore will be able to do it absolutely right. Perfect. Well, listen, I am I am excited to get my hands on this one. I loved your first book. And are this seems like you're putting out like what a book a year now? Is that your plan? Yeah, yeah, that's that's about the output I can uh, I can keep up with. So <laughs> awesome. Well, so Eric, if people want to learn more about you and your work, where's the best place they could go to? Um I'm <laughs> I am, I'm slowly, slowly working on, on, you've got the website up. Um, there's just not a lot there and, and that's on me to, I have to get all that content up. Um, but, uh, that's a great place to do it. Um, uh, Simon and Schuster has a great webpage, um, for the, for the series. Um, and you can follow me. I'm on Twitter, um, Instagram at mm -hmm. Eric Gapster. Um, those, those are probably your best bets. And you do, as you said, you do have some of your older original comics they can see yeah. also there. Yeah, every now and again I'll pull. Awesome. Well, listen, thank you so much for for coming on. It was I had such a it was a, been a genuine pleasure chatting with you, Eric. Oh, yeah, same. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, that's a Lego baby group. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's a Lego. So big. Did, oh, did you? Oh, did you? Did you hear like James Gunn? This is something that James Gunn brought up in in the first Guardians when when the when baby group came out and po popped up in the post credits in the first up the 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 first movie. That is a different group. That's not the actual group from the first movie. Yeah, I uh, I did remember him saying that um, that it was a yeah. different character. So that was an interesting take, right? Uh, like it was basically like a yeah. It's it wasn't the original Groot. That original Groot died. That that Groot. That's a baby Groot that actually was born from yeah the other one. Yeah. So yeah, that was when I when I read it. I'm like, because so many people were like, oh, he kind of came back again. No, that's a brand new group so yeah yeah and i don't know how many people caught that because most people i talk to just think it's all the same character right yeah yeah they they had uh i grew up i grew up